Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, let's get started. Let's pray as we get started. Lord, we are grateful for your faithfulness, even as we have been looking at throughout this book, Lord. You have been telling your people who are in the midst of incredible persecution and even more is on its way that you are good, you are faithful, and that we are to... Remain faithful to you as well. And I pray, Father, that in our uh, condition and state, Lord, where we are not under persecution, but, Lord, we still have opportunity to wander and to uh, turn from you to other types of idols, Lord, that we would be careful not to do so, uh, that your spirit would continue to draw us to yourself. And we pray that you would encourage us in this time as well. Bless this evening, our time together. Uh, be with my mom as she goes through, uh, talks to the doctors tomorrow about the tests that they're going to do, give her wisdom, give the doctors wisdom, and we pray for complete healing and health for her regarding what they find and what treatment she's going to undergo. Again, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, through all these things, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're coming down to the end. Revelation chapter 21. Next week will be our last midweek for the rest of this year. And we finally have made this turn to the final stretch in the book of Revelation. So much of it has been going back and forth, back and forth, dealing with uh, Babylon, dealing with the identity of Babylon or Rome, dealing with the pagan worship and the the lure it was having on much of the church at this time, especially with the persecution going on, especially with the prominence of Rome and the affluence of Rome and all the illusions that it presented to those who were in the middle of struggle. And, and we saw finally there's going to be this victory, the defeat of uh, the beast and the serpent, and now... In chapter 21, we read in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them 
and their and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true you know every now and then there are things where an event will happen in our life where it's like well this is new more than just buying a new clothes or a new car a new event that redirects our life right it could be a new career it could be having a child or getting married something like that can have a dramatic effect on us where everything changes after that that event is so prominent and so important that from that point on there's a new direction that's taken and a new heaven and a new earth and a new jerusalem prepared as a bride is all talking about this kind of turn that's taking place where everything changes from this point on and it's interesting cuz why does there have to be a new heaven we can say understand a new earth cuz we live in this one and we would like to see a lot of things change but a new heaven as well and then a new jerusalem is prepared as a bride all these things are important what is this new what is john pushing towards god's dwelling place he says is now among people right that's what he talks about in verse 3 and we see hints of this in Jeremiah 31 uh, verse 34 which is also echoed in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 where it says this is the covenant i will make with the people of israel after that time declares the lord i will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts i will be their god and they will be my people no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another know the lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the lord and so we see this new is really the new covenant that god had promised a long time ago it was god's intention from the time that jeremiah was writing to do something new in the hearts of people in their relationship with God and we're seeing that come to fruition here at this time in verse 3 when it says dwell dwell has a lot of connection to the idea of God being with them in the tabernacle or in the temple uh or even in uh the gospel the word became flesh and dwelt among us pitched his tent right tabernacled among us that idea of tabernacling or dwelling is being present and what god did with jesus coming to this world he is doing on a a cosmic scale he is coming to live forever in our midst healing comforting celebrating presence of god is now among us the incarnation on a whole new level god with us 
but even more so. Heaven and earth were joined together in Jesus, and they will one day be joined more fully and forever. And it's important for us to recognize that this is something that God has initiated in Christ more fully or revealed more clearly, and it starts to come to the fulfillment in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, right? That's just what we read here. The idea, I am making everything new, right? This bringing unity together fully and forever, heaven and earth under Christ. This picture is much bigger than one of going to a heaven where God is and leaving an earth where God isn't. This is about God restoring and renewing everything. And it's always been that way in the New Testament. There has never been this proclamation in the New Testament that God is going to destroy the earth and take us away forever to be in heaven. The whole intention was this new earth, this renewing of all things, making all things new, and that's what we see taking place here. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, For you died, speaking to those who are followers of Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When we belong to Jesus, we continue our life in this world, in the state that it's in, in the condition that it's in, but have a hidden life within us. We have the life of God, the spirit of God dwelling within us that will be revealed or as he says in Colossians, appear with him in glory. And so that is the, the seal, right? That is the down payment that is talked about, where we've been given the Spirit of God, and then it is going to come to its fruition here at this time, when God is finally renewing all things. Like it says, God himself will be with them, will be their God, in verse 3, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. This is, again, a beautiful promise of God being present, that he himself will be with them. And that is the whole purpose of Christ coming, and that is what we see coming to its completion. In all these things. He goes on in verse 6 and he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. We saw that all the way in chapter 1. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, 
the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Notice that there is, I don't know if you call it requirements, but there are things that are specific to these groups. One group is those who are thirsty, right? Those who are longing, thirsting after what? Thirsting for the life that God has. Those who are victorious, victorious for what? Those who are victorious in their faith through the persecution, through the struggle that hold on to their faith in Christ through all of whatever tribulation the world offers, those who are victorious, this is what the promise is. They will be my children. I will be their God. But, and then it gives this other list that's very, uh, you know, I, I... it's very revealing, I guess, and it's kind of one of those things where you say, yeah, uh, of course. You know, the cowardly is not just talking about people who are afraid of something, but they're talking about people who are afraid of their faith or afraid of faith. Cowardly and not wanting to make a life committed to God. The unbelieving, those who refuse to believe in the things that God is revealing, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts or sorcery. Again, things that are involved with this darkness that he's been talking about. What is behind, you know, the prostitute and the beasts, that dragon, the serpent, those who are in league with that, this is their destiny, right? They are all liars. Again, we saw that, you know, Satan was the liar. You know, he when he lies, he speaks his own language. And so the whole intent here is a separation from those who have been faithful and following after Christ and then those who have been faithful and following after the darkness and the liar and the one who is promoting all these things. And the second death is, again, life away from God is death. And those who choose to live apart from God will have their wish. And that is what's taking place here. They are getting everything that they deserve, not because of what they're doing so much, but because of who they are. These characteristics are part of who they are, just like those who thirst and are victorious are characteristics of who they are. And so I think we see this uh, dichotomy taking place here. In verse 9, it goes on, he says, One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations on them, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onks, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. We start off with the angel who had the seven bowls of the seven plagues. We saw him earlier, and we saw the correlation between the angels and the plagues and that that took place in Egypt. We have seen the redeemed standing by the great sea, singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. We saw the children of Israel cross that Red Sea. And so there's a lot of symbolism taking place. We have seen Babylon with all its gold, like the golden calf made by Aaron, And finally, we see the tabernacle. God has come to dwell with man in verse 3, or in this case, a city. The idea of perfect marital unity between the lamb and his bride is reflected in a different imagery in the New Jerusalem. On one hand, it is designed to reflect the identity of God's people. Right, It has the 12 tribes of Israel and on the names of the gates. Um, It has the 12 apostles on the foundation stones, verses 12 through 14. The city wall defines the city, but the gates we see, they're never shut. There is not a need for defense where the walls are so thick, thick, excuse me, 144 cubits. The gates themselves are not shut because there's no need for them to be shut. And then on the other hand, we have the measurements of the city. The angel measures the city as John was told to measure the temple back in chapter 11. And the city with these measurements is basically 1,500 miles each way, as well as it is high. He goes into detail of the types of stones. There may be a reason for each type of stone Nothing that was consistent that I could find. And, and even in the measurements themselves, you know, we, we see the significance with the 12, 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the 144,000 here, 144 cubits. There's a lot of things that are similar in these things. Um, some people think that the length and the width are that of the Roman Empire at that time. So it would be as vast as Rome was 
and replacing that. It's thought of that in some ways. Um, We also see um, that it is meant to be square, which reminds us of actually uh, the inner sanctuary and the measurement in the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold, and he also overlaid the altar with of cedar. And so the whole of the city has become God's dwelling place, God's temple. It is interesting because he takes him up and he says, I'm going to show you, right? I want to show you the bride. And then we see a city. And so, again, this is full of symbolism, right? This this city is representing something. It's representing the completion of the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, the completion of all that God has done, the the tabernacle and its intention where God would dwell with man there in Jerusalem that was the 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits high is now this city that is basically 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Everything is laid with gold. It's pure. We're seeing all these similarities take place in this, right? This is why the city has the glory of God. In verse 11, it says, it's shown with the glory of God. Why? Because it is the dwelling place of God, where God is showing up. And it's not just pretty to look at. It's not just beautiful because it's all these precious stones. It's God's presence is there, right? In every jewel of every street of gold, it is the presence of God. That is the point of this. You know, the things that are of value are common and everywhere. Um, I, I think it would get a little old seeing gold everywhere all the time, right? I don't think it's supposed to be aesthetically this is what it looked like. I think it is to be an image of, again, precious and the presence of God And it shows in what we consider value, it's just everywhere all the time. Um, And this is, you know, why the city comes down out of heaven. It, It comes down because this is never something that man would be able to do. You know, when God finally speaks, it's to declare not only that he is making all things new, But he is, again, as in chapter 1, verse 8, the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. This is where we find the comfort we need, the promised water of life that Jesus spoke about in John 4 and other places. This is where the promise to the one who conquers in chapter 2 and 3 is seen. This is where God fulfills all those promises and comes to us and is present with us. And I think it's important to see the imagery taking place, the presence of God and what it is. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, we see this over and over again taking place that God is trying to redirect the image of the temple that we're going to see in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. 
This is important because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Right? So again, the imagery goes deeper. There's no temple. Why? Because God is the temple. The lamb is the temple. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Every now and then when you see uh, something that's being built, something that is very uh, you know, beautiful, to build a, a, a beautiful building of some sort, you know, one that might be just architecturally, you know, just really difficult and intricate, they have to have some kind of scaffolding around the building, right? And sometimes even the scaffolding is just engineered in an incredible way to be able to make everyone safe who's working on the building. And you could look at the scaffolding and just say, man, look at that. That's amazing how they did that. But the scaffolding really isn't the point, right? The building is the point. The scaffolding is just to get to the building. It, it shouldn't surprise us that there's no temple there because Jesus has already brought about this truth. Paul talks about it again in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This was even seen by the prophets and foretold as, as Israel was putting trust and in the building of the temple, Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's what scripture was pointing to, where God is the one who's present. God is the one who is seen. And it's not just the temple. It's the sun and the moon that are no longer needed for light, right? It's like, there's no need for this. Why? Because the Lord is the light. And again, I don't think he's saying there's not going to be a sun and there's not going to be a moon. I, I think it's, again, imagery where he's saying that the glory of God is beautiful and brilliant even as creation. In Psalm 19, the sun is the image of God's law, right? And, and so here is this awareness of God, awareness of his law, awareness of the majesty of God that is illuminating, that is brilliant, that is the light of men. And so now it is the light of the nations. What is the light of the nations? The the values of God, the presence of God, who God is, the way God is working within his people, the way he is recreating his people through Christ. Not only the people, but the heavens and the earth. All things are being made new, and this is the light of the world, right? This is those things. We just talked about that in Matthew 5, right? You are the light of the world. Well, here is the presence of God is the light of the world, and we see that's really his intention, right? And so we have to see that something bigger than just a city 
coming down from heaven is taking place here. It's imagery of God renewing and putting into place his rule, his reign. And I think it's a beautiful picture. I think it's something that we should be able to kind of embrace. And even as beautiful as creation is, creation isn't abolished, but it's fulfilled. Right? The beauty of creation, the beauty of the sun and moon and all these things that God has created are outshined by God himself. The scaffolding isn't as beautiful as the building. The creation is not as beautiful as the creator. And all the things that are done give their praise and honor to the one who is actually doing those things in them and through them. And so even the nations are going to come and have this honor. Why? Because God is at work in humanity. It says that all will know the Lord. And this is the hope and this is the the completion that we are looking for. And it is this glory and honor of God showing up in humanity in his creation, both the heavens and the earth, that is the promise that we are leaning into. It is what John is telling all these followers of Christ to be able to see what God is doing by the things he has already done, the temple that he's already done. There's going to be a replacement. There's going to be this new Jerusalem, and there's no longer a temple because God's presence is the temple. It's everywhere. There, there's not going to be the need of the sun and the moon because God is going to be present. He is going to be there. He is going to be present with you wherever you are. And again, this is leaning them into a hope because they were not going to see this come to fruition. They didn't see these things come to play, but they were part of them coming to play. Right? We will not likely see these things happening, but we are to be a part of them happening. We are to be a part of the movement of God that is bringing about the restoration of his will on earth as it is in heaven. That's how the new heaven and the new earth take place. It is God working within us, renewing all things to himself, and we are a part of that renewed creation. And so there is within us a, a seed of hope that is going to give fruit or, or bring about what we are reading here. There, there is the, the thread that is running throughout all the things we have read, you know, all the things from Genesis through all the, you know, historical books through the the books of poetry through the prophets and the minor prophets, all, all these promises of God that we've been looking to and that John has been alluding to throughout the book of Revelation. That thread runs through, is most clearly seen in Christ, but continues running through his church, his people, and it shows up into the very end where the presence of God is seen and known by all. And anyone who is not in 
God's presence is away from God's presence. There is there's a definitely uh, separating that takes place where those who will not be a part of what God is doing cannot be a part of what he will be doing. And so that's kind of the the wake-up call for us, for them, to be aware that God is doing something. Am I a part of it or not? Am I a part of what God's doing or am I distant from what God is doing? And so that's what he's talking about here and what is taking place in chapter 21. And then it will come to its completed end next week in chapter 22. Any thoughts or questions? Yes. Not that I know of. I think, you know, the book of life, God is life. You know, um, the Lamb's book of life is, I think, still part of that book of life. Again, I think it's imagery, right? I don't think there's an actual book. Um, I think it's there to point us to an understanding, you know, of God being aware and having an account of all those who belong to him. And it would be the same whether it was the Lamb's book or the Book of Life. It's my thought. Again, terminology is really important here when we say saved through Christ. I, I, that could be encompassing quite a bit. I, I think the idea here is to show the contrast between those who are connected to God and those who aren't. The whole book of Revelation has shown you know, the faithful who have given their life and those who are part of this Babylon, the beast, and, and taking the beast's mark and, and giving their lives to that. And I think he's really bringing this to a head, saying they're, they're both headed in a direction. This is the direction of the faithful, the victorious. This is the direction of the vile and those who've been part of the Babylon and all that that represents. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, that that's in context of the book, I think that's what he's alluding to. What I love about that is to the thirsty. I, I love that description. You know, to those who are thirsty, there is this d- desire for God, and there is God's desire to fulfill that desire. Yeah. And again, like, what does that mean? You know, because there could be tears of joy, right? So uh, maybe with tears, but you definitely get the illusion here of tears as sorrow, right? With pain and those kinds of things. And and so I I think there are, you know, a lot of things involved just in what that represents, you know? And again, it is beautiful. It just, it captures our heart, you know, this idea that no more tears, no more pain. It's, it's what we want. It's what we long for, but it's not what we're in, you know? And, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? So, okay, so what we're going to see isn't going to happen in this world. It has to be the new. And it's because we're longing for the genuine. We're longing for the true. We're longing for the actual temple presence of God to be everywhere. But it begins already in what he's put inside of us. That's why we long for it. That's why we want these things, right? And those are the things that should be leading us to these things. You know, that's why there is a a conviction of wrong, right? If I lie, oh, no, I lied. I'm not going to be a part of that new temple. No, I'm 
I'm in conflict with what's in me. You know, I'm in conflict with who I'm supposed to be. You know, and so that conflict then is dealt with, addressed, is recognized, you know. I think that's the most important thing. It's not like, well, we can't do any of these bad things. It's like, no, we can't be a partaker of those bad things. We still do lots of bad things, at least, you know, in, in practice, at least according to the idea of Jesus and what we've seen in Matthew. You know, if you are angry, it's like committing murder. Oh, man, well, yeah, God's trying to get to something deep, right? And so this is where that longing comes full circle and, and comes to completion within us. And so, and again, you know, I've always read and heard this in a very literal way. And, and so then it becomes very small. You know, it becomes 1,500 miles, even though it's big. There's more going on than 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. This is new heaven and new earth. This is God renewing creation. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think it's symbolic. I think it was symbolic of the, the sanctuary. I think it's meant to be symbolic of, you know, what they saw. Yeah, it's just immense. You know, as big as the world you know, that's where we'll start, you know, just for image. And so, all right, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this chapter. And, Lord, there is so much, I'm sure, more that can be digested in this. But, Lord, I pray that this would be something that would cause us to hunger and thirst to know more about what you are doing in us and in the world and father have been doing even from the scriptures revealed uh, your heart and your work and i pray lord that we would be a part of that work pushing into the future and i thank you again for our time together in jesus name amen you have been listening to the genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings you can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.